Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Join us for a journey as we go back to the great civilizations of the past. Who were the people? What were they like? How did they begin and how did they end? Let's find out on episode 63, Sargon II, The Warrior. Previously, on Fan of History, Sargon II tried to reclaim the empire of Tiglath-Pileser III, fighting several enemies. Noteworthy among them are Merodach Baladan of Babylonia, King Midas of Phrygia, and King Rusa Uvurartu. Wow, Dan, a lot has happened so far. What is coming up next? Uh, we are still only at the start of the Sargon saga, and the king of the week, of course, is Sargon II. Uh, yeah, I reminded you about him last time, so I'm not going to go through this. <laughs> Sennacherib is sitting in uh, the new capital and the old capital and doing all the hard administration work and stuff while dad is away fighting. So, um, in 716 BC, Sargon has to go east again into the Sagros Mountains, into what is today Iran. He has been neglecting the east for three years. King Midas was making trouble in the northwest, and Sargon had to take care of that. So now, after three years, the Meneans and the people in the east have gone crazy and done very strange things, and Sargon has to put it, put it down. So, this is the situation he faces uh, when he gets back to the east. <laughs> Remember all these names now, there will be a test later. <laughs> yeah. Get your pens and paper. <laughs> so when Sargon left, everybody was like, all the Menean kings, the Meneans have um, plenty of kings. And all of them were like, oh, we, we love you, Sargon. We are paying tribute. We are vassals. But uh, after three years, that changed. And there is a guy called Mitati ruling Sikirtu. 
He has convinced two other kings called Baghdati and Uishdish to reject Assyrian vassaldom. And together Mitati and Uishdish has they have attacked Manians who remained loyal to Assyria. And there was a battle when Sargon was away, the Battle of Mount Uash, where the Assyrian loyalist king, the Manian Asa, he was killed in this battle uh, because he defended Assyria. Wow. So Sargon sends an army here before he arrives himself, probably while he's still occupied in the northwest. There is an Assyrian raid, we have no details of it, but or very little details. They attacked Baghdati and Mitati, and they captured Baghdati, this one of these three rebel kings, and they flayed him, and they displayed his skin on Mount Uash, the scene of the battle that he won. That is awful. <laughs> yeah, <that> is, <laughs> well, you did defeat the guy who was loyal to us, this is your reward. Um, king Asa, the loyalist king who died, he was succeeded by his brother Ulusunu. And when Ulusunu becomes the king, this Assyrian raid has already happened, so here... So you would think that he would swear allegiance to Assyria, but he swears allegiance to Urartu. See, it's like, we need a big friend to protect us from Assyria. Wow. And he gets two other Manian rulers to join him. And they are Asher Liu of Kerala, named Asher. That's huh. weird, right? That is weird. And also Itti and Alabria. So now we have several kings who are not loyal to Sargon. But in 716 BC, Sargon finds the time to go east to punish all the rebels again. <laughs> he did this in 719 BC. So Sargon goes east. His first target is Ulusunu, this disloyal brother of Asa. Asa who died fighting for Assyria. And his brother is like the, the main person in this rebellion. So Sargon gets there. He besieges Isirtu. Ulusuna's uh, capital. And he takes it and burns it down. And he captures Ulusunu. And Ulusunu begs for mercy. So are the Assyrians known for their mercy? What do you think? Um, I'm going to go with no. <laughs> but Sargon is a different animal. I am oh. quite impressed by Sargon. Before I went... I deeply studied this before the research for this. I just read all of Assyrian history. I thought Sargon was like, well, he just fights all the time. But he has these characteristics that nobody else has. So he will be merciful some of the time. And it's really hard to figure out why. But this time he will. And we have Sargon's own words, what he does here. So I thought that you would read them. Sure. Let's see. I'm going to channel Sargon. Being merciful? I'll give it a shot. Then Ulusun heard in his high mountains of my glorious exploits. He departed in haste like a bird and kissed my feet. I pardoned his innumerable misdeeds and I blotted out his iniquities. 
I granted pardon to him. I replaced him upon the throne of his royalty. I gave him the two fortresses and the twenty-two great towns that I had taken away from Urzaha and Mitati. I endeavored to restore peace to his country. I made the image of my majesty. I wrote on it the glory of the god Asher, my master. I erected many facsimiles of it in Iziriti, the town of his royalty. And Sargon does this. He tells his own story in much more color than any other Syrian king. And if you want the full annals of Sargon, you can find it on uh, the Fan of History YouTube channel. So it's 43 minutes of this when Sargon <laughs> tells you everything he did. And <laughs> he spares this guy. He has 22 great towns. I bet they're villages. <laughs> he has taken from these other rebels when he gives him two fortresses as well. And then he gets the bonus. So Ulusunu gets these statues of Sargon that are displayed everywhere in his capital. So he shouldn't forget who spared him. All right. But it's hard to tell why he did this. He decided that you couldn't put an Assyrian garrison here. It's uh, too far away in the mountains. And uh, let's just trust this guy. Maybe he will remain loyal. And maybe he will. But there are two more kings running around who are not loyal. It's Asher Liu and Iti. So Sargon marches on to fight them. And they stupidly uh, get caught. <laughs> probably in a battle, and uh, they are crushed by Sargon, and they are not forgiven. I, I think they did less than Ulusunu did. Ulusunu got them on board. <laughs> uh, they are not spared. They are taken in chains to Syria, and they are never seen again. Yep, there it goes again. Kerala uh, is added to the province of Luma. Alabaria is put under the authority of Bel Apla Idina of Patira. These are like small kingdoms in the area. And Bel Apladina is a great name. Sounds like a Babylonian king, but it's less this local guy. Sargon isn't done yet. He turns southeast and keeps conquering. This is still in 716 BC. And he takes some cities that he adds to Parsua. Parsua is the ancient homeland of the Persians, but they have cleared this area now. And it's just uh, a loyal province to Sargon. He captures the city of uh, Kisheshim. And he abducts all the rulers of Kisheshim. And they are taken to Assyria. And do you think anybody ever sees them again? I'm going to say no. <laughs> no, nobody ever sees them again. <laughs> and Sargon puts an Assyrian governor in Kisheshim. So this is added to the empire. Probably because it's closer to uh, areas already under direct control from Assyria. Uh, it is renamed Kar-Nirgal. And together with other captured regions, it forms a new Assyrian province, a new province of the empire. So remember Kar-Nirgal. This, this is a pretty good base for campaigns against Elam and Babylon. You are now, as it was to the southeast, this is almost straight to the east of Babylonia. 
But Sargon keeps marching on. It's still 716 BC and he now attacks Karkar, this confusingly named place, which <laughs> is not Karkar of Syria, but Karkar of the Sagros Mountains. Spelled very differently, but when I say it, it sounds exactly <laughs> I was the same. Say, it sounds the exact same. I was just thinking that they're not going to know because they can't see it. <laughs> In, in 720 BC, Kakar got uh, beaten up in 719 BC as well, but they, they have expelled the ruler who was pro-Assyrian, and then they sworn allegiance to Dalta of Ilippi. And I can't really figure out how this works, because Dalta of Ilippi, he is still loyal to Sargon. Ilippi was this Elamite um, very, a kingdom, that, a small version of Elam, pretty much. They are Elamites in a separate kingdom outside of Elam. But they have been loyal to the Assyrians for quite some time. But now this uh, Kakar swears allegiance to them, and it's, it's really confusing. It's probably very rough to be the king of Ilippi now, with Elam so close, with Sargon running around, the Meneans. Sargon takes Kakar, and then he decides that this confusion with the name will not remain, because it re he renames it Kacharukin. Pretty better. close to Darcharukin. <laughs> right. I guess so. I was going to say, that is better. It only sounds slightly similar <laughs> to another. I think it's style. like the difference between Fort and Castle or something like that. Oh, okay. Or City and Castle. Maybe this is Sargon Town and not Sargon Castle. Sargonton. <laughs> <laughs> He adds territory to this and makes it another province of Assyria. And he takes all the people of Karkar and resettles them in the empire. And it's still the same year. That's that's incredible. Yeah, this guy is almost equal of Tiglath Pelis III, but he just doesn't win as much. <laughs> or he just doesn't uh, have it as easy as TP3 did. Uh, wow. Another thing is that we have more sources for Sargon II. We have so many sources for this, compared to earlier kings and compared to most later kings as well, which is interesting. So Sargon gets a lot of space, but I think he does, he does do a lot of things as well that sort of justifies that. He's still going in 716 BC, and now he makes a deep trust into media. The Medes are close to the Meneans in the Sagros Mountains. They have been fighting the Assyrians forever. And now Sargon punishes them. When the royal Assyrian army gets into Media, the Medes just give up. 28 rulers of Media travel to uh, the new city then of Karsharukin, old Karkar, to pay homage to Sargon II. So this was a pretty great year for, for Sargon. But it's not close to Sargon's grand adventure in 714 BC that we will spend an, a whole episode on. And that's uh, the next episode. Uh, in the north of this, of all of this, is Urartu, ruled by Rusa. And Rusa sees Mania fall before Sargon. He's like, no, I want Mania. Mania is mine. And when the royal Assyrian army leaves the area, he attacks Ulusunu. So Whoa. Ulusunu can't catch a break. <laughs> he just randomly got uh, spared by Sargon. And now he has to fight for Assyria. 
Sarusa takes several fortresses. Maybe his two new shiny fortresses Aww. he got as a gift from Sargon. Came and took his presents away. And Rusa, of course, says to Lusuno, you were once loyal to me, you can come back, we can forget that this happened, we can fight the Assyrians together. But Ulusuno will not yield. He will remain loyal to Sargon because he has seen Sargon. He's been spared by Sargon. He knows that there is no army in this world that can resist Sargon when he arrives. Uh, but another <laughs> small Manian king, Daiuku, he swears loyalty to Rusa. So Rusa starts like splitting Mania once again to be able to try to take all of this area for Urartu instead. And Sargon has gone back to Assyria. So Sargon will have to deal with the east again. Or maybe he should just deal with Urartu. Because Urartu is the source of most of the problems in the east. Let's jump to Judah. In uh, 716 BC, King Ahaz of Judah dies. Uh, of course, biblical dating is also uncertain, and uh, there are other years for this event, but I found 716 BC quite likely. Ahaz ruled Judah for 16 years. His uh, big policy was be loyal to the Assyrians, beg the Assyrians for help if somebody is nasty. <laughs> and just stay on Team Assyria. This leaves bad press in the Bible for Ahaz. He is, uh, the Bible says that he was impressionable. But he was very happy to yield to the glamour and prestige of the Assyrians in religion as well as politics. And that's of course horrible if you want to get good press in the Bible. Ahaz leaves the throne to Hezekiah. Hezekiah is his son, and it's possible Hezekiah and Ahaz ruled as co-regents. There is a lot of space spent in the Book of Kings and in Chronicles in the Old Testament on Hezekiah. So your homework for next time is to read the Bible. No, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> but Hezekiah doesn't agree with Dad's policies. On religion especially, but also on politics. But first, religion. So Hezekiah tries to reverse the religious aberrations that Ahaz introduced. This is like, we should be uh, monotheists, we should love Yahweh, we should not care for other weird gods that my dad talked about. And this is, of course, partly uh, an after, uh, a construction of writing down the Old Testament in the five, in the sixth century BC. But it is likely that uh, Hezekiah was, uh, yeah, a very Yahweh-centric guy. There are two prophets, Isaiah and Micah, that cheer him on. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Um, Hezekiah also extends his care to the remaining Jews in Israel. Shalmaneser V and Sargon, they deported a lot of the Hebrews in Samaria. But the ones who remain, Hezekiah sort of feels that he is responsible for. And I think there is a migration from Samaria to Judah in secret, because the Assyrians wouldn't like that. So it looks like Hezekiah is towing the line here. He's still an Assyrian vassal. But he doesn't like Assyrian religious influence. He tries to care for the Hebrews in Samaria. So where can this lead? Yeah, I don't think it's going to lead to happiness and peaceful times. It's going to lead to the point I... I was prepared to end this narrative at, but now we're going to continue. It is <laughs> going to lead to 701 BC and the destruction of Sennacherib. Uh, but that's for a later episodes. So in 715 BC, do you remember Luli, the king of Tyre, a Phoenician? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he was. He has survived uh, Tiglath Pelesu III, Shalmaneser V, and Sargon. He was besieged by four, for four years by Tiglath Pelleser III. And somehow he's still in power and <laughs> he has rebelled three times. But he is now a loyal Assyrian vassal and that pays off here because he is attacked by some Greeks. Greeks! Greeks are attacking wow. Phoenician shipping. This is crazy. This These is are new. Ionian pirates. Okay. They're probably coming from uh, southern Turkey today, and from the, from the coast of Asia Minor. But uh, this is a problem for the commercial interests of Tyre. Because Tyre is the most powerful Phoenician cities, and they are mostly traders. And now the Greeks are stealing their stuff. But as, as we've said many times, if you are an Assyrian vassal, you can call on Assyrian help. So Sargon sends help. But there is a problem, of course, because the Ionian pirates, they are on uh, the sea. Right. And the Assyrians hate the sea. <laughs> uh, the situation in 715 BC is that Tyre is the most powerful of Phoenician cities, as I said, but it also controls, it dominates politics on Cyprus. Uh, Salamis is a colony of Tyre. This is the biggest city on Cyprus. I've done two videos with Groovy Historian on uh, our YouTube channel, Fan of History on YouTube, about the history of Cyprus, where we just talk about 
the history of Cyprus from 1000 BC to 500 BC. Uh, but this is a very clear situation on Cyprus down the Tyre being a vassal of Assyria. So Assyria in some way has influence on Cyprus, but there are no Assyrians there. But there, it's very unclear what Sargon did to deal with the pirates. But maybe some Assyrian troops went to Cyprus. Maybe they just went on Tyrrhenian ships to beat up pirates, but something was done. And um, yeah, we, we'll, we'll get back to Cyprus in uh, very soon, but not in this episode. So let's move to Babylonia. I lost my track. Yeah, Babylonia. Merodach Maladam <laughs> is still in power in Babylonia. And he's kind of waiting for the Assyrian... Uh, the Assyrians should attack him, right? He rebelled seven years ago. Yeah. It's been five years since he last saw an Assyrian army. And that army got beaten up by the Elamites. So where is Sargon? Why is Sargon not doing anything about the south? So meanwhile, while waiting for the inevitable Assyrian attack, Merodach Baladan is making friends. He's great at that. Everybody is a friend of Merodach Baladan. He, he has this unique ability to unite uh, the warring factions of Babylonia, like nobody has before him. So everybody is on his side in, uh, in Babylonia, and he's doing a great job. I'll get back to his, his work as king in a later episode. But uh, Merdak Baladan is doing fine in Babylonia. Well, you didn't expect that. No. No Assyrian attack in this episode. So we have to go to Egypt again and look at Shabaka, the pharaoh of the 25th dynasty. Uh, P.S. moderate policy in Egypt wasn't successful. So the, the minor, the pity kings of Egypt, they are like keeping their taxes being bothersome, and Shabaka has to do pretty much what his brother did. Uh, and uh, there is a, a scarab detailing the campaign of Shabaka. Uh, this scarab was uh, bought in Jerusalem, so the people knew that it existed, and then somebody found it and bought it. Uh, this could mean that Shabaka sent propaganda in his day to other countries telling people about his greatness. <laughs> but I will not go into detail on Shabaka's campaign because it's pretty similar to Pia's campaign. Uh, there is a guy called Bokoris that tries to uh, lead the other side, but he loses. And then we can have one quote from Shabaka himself or from his scribes. And that's for you to read. Let's see... From he has slain. From he has slain, yeah. He has slain those who rebelled against him in the Southland, in the Northland, in all the foreign lands. The sand dwellers languish because of him, fallen for terror of him. They come of their own accord as captives, each one of them having seized his fellow because of the beneficent acts he has performed for his father inasmuch as he loves him. What? <laughs> okay, they, they come of their own accord, 
right. as they, captives. So like, I am my own captive. I'm surrendering to uh, <laughs> Sabaka. Each of them having seized his fellows. I brought my friend, who I have also captured. Right, we're, because... we're coming to you as prisoners. Please take us. Because of the beneficent acts he has performed for his father. Like, who has done what for whom? <laughs> right. I don't, I don't even know what's going on. Oh, wow. And, uh, like, he has slain all those who rebelled against him in all foreign lands. Huh. <laughs> what does that mean? How can somebody rebel against him in a foreign land? <laughs> they said bad words. Yeah, and uh, which foreign land did he go to? It's like... <laughs> Maybe Egypt was foreign to him because he was a Nubian. <laughs> but in the end, Shabaka wins. There is a donation stele in the Delta dedicated to him. So now, once again, we have to ask the question we asked after Pia conquered Egypt. Now Shabaka has done the same thing. How total was this conquest? The northern lords still remain in their old seats of power. He doesn't replace them. He does exactly the same thing as Pia did. <laughs> Shabaka has the title King of Upper and Lower Egypt. He wears the two crowns of Egypt. There are two crowns of Egypt because Egypt was always two kingdoms. But how much attention did the North have to pay to him? And I've read quite recently actually that maybe Lower Egypt, the North of Egypt, the Delta, was never under the total control of the 25th dynasty. And that could explain what happens later. But I'm pretty sure that the Nubians have total control over Upper Egypt, over the southern part of the country. Uh, but the, the control of the north is always uh, pretty weak. Um, we are not very sure what Shabaka does during his, uh, his reign. We have some major construction in Thebes. Um, there used to be reports of Shabaka using Memphis as his capital, and Memphis is pretty far to the north in Egypt. But Memphis was probably only the base of his northern campaign. But we can't really tell from where Shabaka reigned. Pia went back to Nubia as soon as he could, but Shabaka maybe didn't do this. Uh, we only have a small temple at Kava built in Nubia for Shabaka. And that's not much for a Nubian king. He may have stayed in Thebes. Thebes was always the center of Nubian power in Egypt. Uh, or he could have been in the Nubian capital of Napata. Uh, Shabaka reinstates the office of the high priest of Amun in Thebes. And we talked so much about the high priest of Amun. The 21st dynasty broke up because they started, in the start of the 21st dynasty, we had the high priest of Amun rebelling against the pharaoh. But for some reason, this office uh, wasn't on for a long time. Uh, the god's wife of Amun still holds the highest power in Thebes. So there's now a high priest, but the god's wife of Amun is a higher office. This is still Amenirdis, who is the god's wife of Amun in Thebes. Uh, Thebes has been under Nubian control for Quite a while, she has been in Thebes for a long time. First, she was the div div divine adoratrice of Amun <laughs> under Shepenupep I, that is sort of like the crown princess of Amun. Uh, Aminirdis is the daughter of Kashta, the sister of Pia, and the sister of Shabaka. 
and she is still in religious power in Thebes. So I figured I should mention her, as we have very few powerful females in this time. Oh, yeah. Back to Sargon! <laughs> Sargon decides to spend the 715 BC campaign going east again because of what Rusa did at the end of the last year. So no Iraqan influence in Mania, we need to crush that. So Sargon comes back and Ulusunu is so happy. He lost fortresses to Rusa, but he never switched sides. And now the royal Assyrian army is back in his land and they are friendly to him. <laughs> So he's like, yes, pick the <laughs> right side. And Sargon easily takes back the fortresses that uh, Ulusunu lost. Uh, Sargon gives them back to Ulusunu and says, don't lose these again. And Diauku, the guy who declared for Urartu, he is defeated by Sargon and carried off to Assyria along with his family. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. Womp womp. Sargon's troops now stands at the Urartian border to Mania. And the Urartian border has been creeping further and further south into Mania. But Sargon now captures several Urartian border fortresses. And the Assyrians don't often capture these fortresses. We have seen the Urartian border fortresses of the north. They held back powerful Assyrian kings before. But this time Sargon captures Urartian fortresses. And uh, this is kind of a mystery. This is the base of Urartian power, that their fortresses do not fall. Right. So maybe these were freshly built, these were part of the expansion into Mania. Or maybe they are in Mania even. But somehow Sargon does this. Uh, there's another important Manian king. Uh, no, it's not Manian. Sorry, it's in the north. It's in the mountains. Jansu, the king of Nairi in Kubushkia. Uh, he declares for Assyria and sends tribute to Sargon. And he is quite close to these Urartian border fortresses. So uh, good 11th hour action. Uh. Like right when Sargon is on his doorstep. He declares for Sargon. So <laughs> Kubushkia is now... Yeah, you were saying? Oh, I said that's a smart move. It's a smart move, and it will be even smarter in next episode. So remember, Jansu, king of Kubushka. I'm amazed that he's the king of Nairi, because Nairi was the old term for Urartu before it became a kingdom. So he's like living in the past, it seems. <laughs> but Sargon is just getting started for 715, so he turns southeast. Again, just like he did last year. And if anyone in Mania or Media considers siding with the Rochans, they now know that that wouldn't be a good idea. Uh, the new provinces that were added to Karkar, to Karsharukin last year, they have to be conquered again. Oh no. In <laughs> 715 BC. So apparently there was unrest. Sargon once again takes a trip into Media. But the Medes, they know the drill now, so they just show up and pay homage to him, and they decide not to fight. And they're like, we hope he doesn't come back next year. But Sargon will be back in the East next year, for next year it's time for Sargon's Grand Adventure. And this is a unique event in Neo-Assyrian history. 714 BC contains... 
something they never gave us. The Assyrians have kept silent on one detail for all these years. We are almost 200 years into the Neo-Assyrian Empire. And they never once told us how they fight in an actual battle. But in 714 BC, Sargon will tell us the full narrative from a battle. And that's for next episode. Oh my goodness. King Midas isn't done yet. He will continue to instigate rebellion against Sargon. But he will run into another problem as well. So more King Midas, more Sargon. Coming up on Final History. Wow. So I guess that's it for this episode. Yes. For our next episode, Sargon will give us, (laughs) like Dan said, a full battle description hold on to your hats ladies and gentlemen this, we finally this will get to learn how the Assyrians fight so we want to thank you for listening please visit our YouTube like subscribe share tell other people about us give us a review on iTunes or the media sharing site of your choice Facebook.com slash fan of history, Patreon.com slash fan of history. If you want to follow Dan on Twitter, it's at Dan Horning. If you want to follow me, I'm at Cerulean Says Hi. So, for this uh, week, could I do I am something Brennan. else? And I'm Dan. Dan? Yes. Dan? <laughs> yes. Uh, I'm still here. Dan. <laughs> Skype. Dan? Yes. Oh, Dan. Brennan! Son of a bitch, Dan. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon, patreon.com slash fanofhistory. Just a dollar an episode would help us out. Thanks, and see you next time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.